1: Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. I was thinking about this uh, driving into work today. Over the weekend, uh, I I was out and about uh, out of the city when I saw someone burning leaves, which... I imagine. Are you allowed to do that? Well, that was, of course, your first response. Are they allowed to do that? right? Which, when we were growing up, people did that all the time. Mm -hmm. But I I do believe in some townships and municipalities, especially outside the city, it's still a common thing. All that to say, it looked very pretty and smelled great.
2: Oh, my gosh. I went outside last night. I I was cooking in the kitchen. It got really hot in there. Yeah. I thought, well, yeah, so I stepped out. It smelled so good outside. Does it smelled it? like fall. Mm-hmm. It smelled like crispy leaves and somebody's fireplace yep. and Oh boy, was it
1: delightful? Does any other season have a particular smell? Like well, I that? feel like snow smells, I guess in some ways it does. It's a subtle thing, yeah, yeah but it does smell you
2: know when when weather is cold and crisp, mm-hmm. it kind of smells like something,
1: yeah, yeah. Winter has a subtle smell. Now, Autumn,
2: spring can have a beautiful smell.
1: Fabulous, yeah.
2: You know, hyacinths all over the place and peonies blooming. and
1: Summer? Is there a summer smell? Is it chlorine in the air? Or is it sunscreen on your face? It
2: smells like humidity.
1: <laughs> Sweat. Exactly. It smells like you're sweating. That's what
2: it smells like yeah. in the hot pavement. That's yeah. what it smells like.
1: Yeah, speaking of that, I was uh, I sat down last night and I sat down in this chair and it smelled like my kid.
2: Oh, great. That's not good. No. I don't think you mean that in a good way. I,
1: I did not. And I mm-hmm. said to my kid, hey, this chair smells like you. And he was like, oh, I, I don't think so. He was like, you know, taken aback.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you said, I do think so. Oh, I do. I know
1: it is. My my son. I I actually do think so. My loving son. I know. I know who you are. Anyway. Anyway,
2: welcome to the ride home.
1: (laughs) Yes. Smells included. (laughs) Smell-o-rama. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh my gosh! Busy day here. Uh, yeah. uh, election. Did you? How
1: was? How were the polls for you last night?
2: Uh, polls were good. There were no snacks.
1: No. Remember, after... I
2: said last night sure. that there are always snacks. No snacks. There weren't snacks. That's mm, mm, a shame. Yeah. So um, I did walk up to the polling location. Excellent, it was dark. Like you said. I donned a little uh, flashlight or... a flashlight and I had a little high visibility thing. Very in. nice. Um, I went up there. I. Uh, did not have to wait in line. The person that was right in front of me had just gone. Okay. So I got in quickly. However, I spent a good 30 minutes there.
1: Studying because, the ballot. Because
2: there were a couple things I wasn't expecting on so, the ballot, yeah, and yeah. I had to do some research. What's I said, going on? "I said, can I pull out my phone? And the guy voting next to me said, what, do you think it's a test? <laughs> I said, well, I didn't know if there were regulations.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. Can we take a photograph? Well, I don't You're know, not
2: allowed that. to take a photograph See, of the See, yeah, ballot.
1: right, exactly. I wasn't, so. but I was, you know, Right. In the end, did you come out on the right side of history? Nope. Uh, You did not.
2: Again, (laughs) I vote in Allegheny County for no purpose. Yes,
1: right. Okay, that's fine. All right, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the victors, the spoils, the losers, you go home with your tail between your legs. Anyway, it's still another busy news day. Kath, without further ado, please give us the news stories, the top four at four.
2: For Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, number one, the results of yesterday's off-year races indicated that voters will come to the polls nationally to defend abortion rights. In the Republican strongholds of Ohio and Kentucky, as well as politically purple places like here and Virginia, abortion rights supporters spent millions of dollars. We have seen this all over the place, right, telling voters that uh, Republican lawmakers can't be trusted to set abortion policy after the Supreme Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court last year eliminated Roe v. Wade, and it looks like all of that worked. Um, it gave Democrat Democrats hopes that they can harness the issue again in a year when it's time for the presidential election. The abortion right side did particularly well in the types of suburban counties, according to the Wall Street Journal, that will be key in determining the results of the presidential election. How about that? Um, and locally, Democrat Sarah Inamorado rolled to a historic win over Republican Joe Rocky. That was a hotly contested race. Also, longtime Allegheny County DA Stevens Appala defeated challenger Matt Dugan by more than three percentage points. Um, that's for the county's top law enforcement post. And the Pittsburgh City Council incumbents running for re-election cruised two easy victories. Two newcomers won seats, replacing outgoing councilmen, according to the results I saw on today's trip, where you can read all the details.
1: I thought that if Sarah
2: and won, then so would Dugan. But that wasn't the case. No. Odd. It was odd, wasn't it? Number two. A narrower field of Republican candidates will face off tonight in the third presidential debate of the primary cycle in Miami. President, uh, former President Donald Trump, who leads the field, still declining to participate. I'm looking forward, John, to a lot of conversation about Israel and Gaza, Mm -hmm. right? Um, NBC News is hosting the debate. It'll begin at 8 p.m. It'll run for two internal. Terminable hours Lester Holt and Kristen Welker moderating along with radio host Hugh Hewitt um, you can watch these uh, uh, on NBA station NBC stations across the country yes. uh, you can also watch it on peacock to see five candidates including Chris Christie Ron DeSantis Nikki Haley Vivek Ramos mommy and Tim Scott of South Carolina mm-hmm. no, Greg
1: Clarkson will be there
2: yep and no Mike Pence because he's out he's gone he dropped out all right number three Adidas John said it might have to write off the remaining $320 million worth of Yeezy shoes left unsold after it cut ties with rapper Yee formerly known as Kanye West, the company will decide in the coming weeks whether or not to do a third release of the shoes next year to generate more donations to groups fighting anti-Semitism. And, of course, they say that because they cut ties with Kanye West in October 2022 after he made anti-Semitic remarks. Um, And they have sold 750 million euros worth of the shoes in two stages earlier this year. Um, CEO Bjorn Golden, who took over after the Yeezy breakup, He said that there are terrible circumstances in the Middle East, saying that the company's more than 600 employees in Israel. How about that? I did not realize that they had 600 there. Called up for military service and that they as a company are starting donation programs for the whole area. Also for Gaza. That's from ABC News. And number four, the National Zoo's giant pandas are on a flight to China. See you later. Ending an era that spanned 50 years, brought joy to generations of fans, left a black and white imprint on the Washington region. And they're going with two people who are taking care of them and feeding them hay. On the way, hmm. and that's your top four. Four.
1: So, why are they leaving?
2: Because there was a um, an agreement between China and the U.S. for a certain amount of time, and that time's over. It's up.
1: Now they're going home.
2: Nineteen hours, nine thousand mm-hmm. miles on a FedEx cargo jet.
1: Wow. I wonder what their acclimation period will be like.
2: Well, I don't know, but they they loaded huge stacks of bamboo so that they had some things to snack mm, on Interesting. on their way to the airport. Yeah. I would assume once they get to the airport, they're going to be sedated. It's just a guess. That was it's a not, long flight. Yeah, it's a long flight. Right. Um, the mother bear was first taken out of the enclosure, carried in a crate by forklift to a truck.
1: Whoa, mm-hmm. that's hefty.
2: Yep. The mother bear and then Papa bear came next. And then junior bear was at the end.
1: I wonder what their English skills and Chinese skills are like.
2: You mean the bears? Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm not sure. They have I mean, Chinese names.
1: So people have been speaking to them in English. Right. right. So they'll have to learn some Chinese.
2: Right. Maybe they forget Chinese. Right. One of the, the mama bear's 26 and the papa bear's 25. Hmm.
1: Well, they're certainly young enough. They're supple I'm brains, sure. right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, zookeepers Laurie Thompson and Mariel Lolly will travel with the pandas to China. Interesting. Nice gig.
1: All right. Goodbye, Pandas. Hope to see you back again someday. We'll take a quick break. Think talking about leaving. Roger Olson will join us in just a few minutes. Is the New Testament message unique? That conversation straight ahead. We are Pittsburgh's Christian talk. It's the right home on one hundred one point five word FM. W.O.R.D.
2: Dr. Roger Olson back with us, Emeritus Professor of Christian Theology at Baylor University, author of over 20 books, including The Story of Christian Theology and The Journey of Modern Theology. Roger, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Good to be with you again. Always a pleasure, Roger. Uh, In your blog, which is always interesting and entertaining, very deep and thoughtful, you you asked the question, um, is there any other book or document anywhere written at any time that teaches readers to love their enemies, even those who persecute them, to do good to them, to live selflessly for others without thought of reward, and to regard all fellow human beings as having infinite dignity and worth? I guess that's an excellent question, isn't it? Because what you've described is the Bible and the Gospels.
3: Yes, um, and so I was fishing to see if anybody would take the bite, and a few people did, and came up with some names that I'm not at all sure actually taught all of that. <laughs> hmm. uh, I, I'm willing to be educated. I, I put it out as a question, and I was willing to be corrected if I was wrong that the New Testament is the only text that teaches that that isn't influenced by the New Testament. Of course, after the New Testament, there are many people, even philosophers, who have said that, but they were in Influenced and are influenced by the New Testament, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's just an ongoing conversation, but I'm deeply impressed with the ethic of Jesus in the New Testament, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, as unique. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so let's talk about the uniqueness, because for people who are Christians, maybe who have been Christians their whole life, I don't think uh, we perhaps recognize that, Appreciate because it's it. kind of been the the soup that we've been swimming in, mm-hmm. but uh, like John said, appreciating it is something that doesn't come to us.
3: Right, right. No, I agree with you completely that in my life of, you know, belonging to 12 different churches, because I moved a lot, um, you know, I found many Christians who just took Christianity for granted, you know, and and didn't really think deeply about the things Jesus taught and said. And they would get into endless debates about whether we should really pluck out our eyes or cut off our hands. When, you know, that's not the main point of the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) You know, they're jumping to, you know, something that's kind of a speculative and controversial thing. I want to move them back to just looking at things we do understand that we're supposed to do, and that is love our enemies.
1: Yes. Now, Roger, in looking at uh, all the comments that uh, the post created, is the New Testament message unique? It seems as though you have a lot of people who are atheists or uh, friends of atheists who are willing to comment. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yes. And in every case so far, either I've never heard of the text that they bring up, so I have some research to do, but you know, being a religion scholar and having a PhD in religion, religious studies, I've never heard of some of those people. So I you know, I wonder if they're on Wikipedia or something and not didn't really exist. The other ones, um, some of the atheists, you know, I have to say to them, well, you know, you are influenced by the New Testament, whether you know it or not, because it's part of our culture, our Western culture. And so I'm not saying you can't believe that. I'm just asking if there's any original text not influenced by the New Testament uh, that, that says that strongly that we should love our enemies and do good to them. And there's been a lot of controversy, of course, that goes on about whether we should do it for rewards or just, Mm -hmm. you know, virtue is its own reward and on and on. I just wanted to open up the conversation and get people thinking more deeply, including Christians. Yes. Have you really studied and taken seriously Jesus' teachings?
2: We're talking to Roger Olson um, about what makes the U- the New Testament unique, um, and the kinds of things that people who are outside the church might be thinking about when they look at the New Testament. Can you can you address that that last thing I said, uh, Roger, about how do you think people who are outside the church are looking at the New Testament and your interactions online or in person? What are you hearing?
3: So very often, those outside the church. And the ones who come to my blog, you know, and interact with me often are educated people, um, tend to focus on the wrong things in the New Testament. I'll just mention one example. He hasn't come to my blog because he was dead before I started my blog, but British philosopher Bertrand Russell wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian. And there have been several responses to that. But one of the reasons he gave why he was not a Christian was he said that Jesus was unethical in his behavior because he cursed a fig tree. Now, to me, that's Silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's the creator of the fig tree. <laughs> that doesn't seem to take that into account at all. Mm-hmm. So I hear a lot of things from people that just make me think that, that they're missing the point. They're picking, they're picking up on really minor uh, issues of the New Testament and not looking at the major ideas that mm-hmm. Jesus put forth.
2: Now, that's how I would respond if you said, hey, Kath, what do you think about the Quran?" Because mm-hmm. I haven't steeped myself in the Quran. I know little bits here and there. So I would give you an uneducated point of view. Right? right? Yeah. And I think sure. that's, that's the hard thing about people who are outside any group making a comment on it. Because you just have a different perspective. And a less educated one.
3: Mostly, that's true. Um, my wife and I watch some television shows where recently... You know, we've we've heard uh, people quoting the New Testament, and not giving the New Testament the credit for it, but saying someone once said, really, like, you know, quote the New Testament. And, you know, I see these posters with Lincoln on them that says the house divided against itself cannot stand. <laughs> right. And I'm going, wait, Jesus said that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah. So people outside the church often don't read or understand and have very distorted views of the New Testament.
1: And of course, you know this, Roger, but the problem is not so much biblical illiteracy, which is rampant, but we as believers are our own worst enemy and our own worst advertisement Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. what it is to be a believer of Jesus Christ. We just constantly go against the grain and turn people away with the least little bit of interest of what it is to be a follower of Jesus by our own aberrant behavior.
3: Well, yes, and I would add to that that I was raised to believe and still do believe that a lot of those people are what I would call nominal Christians mm-hmm. and not real Christians. If that's the way that their life is is going, that yes. they don't really care to, to really understand and live out the teachings of Jesus to the best of their ability with the help of the Holy Spirit, then they're, yeah, you know, false Christians, and they're so... You know, the, in the church I was raised in, most people who called themselves Christians were considered false Christians. Hmm. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I, I would probably not be that strict now. I, I'm much more generous, you know, but, you know, we're talking about in the 50s and 60s. You know, most uh, evangelical Christians didn't think Catholics could be Christians. Right? Right. Right. Right.
2: right. So was well, that well, a result? Was that a result of the era that you're talking about? You said the 50s and 60s, or was it a result of the uh, denomination you run?
3: Yeah, I think it was both. It was the era, but it was also, um, and still is for me, I think, just watching people's lives and how little they care. I'm talking about Christian people who call themselves Christians, how little they really care about it. Um, People who come to church once a month and think that's just fine, you know, and don't make any effort to be in church more regularly than that when they could be who would skip church to go to a football game or something, you know, I, then I honestly do begin to judge them a little bit and say, is your Christianity really as strong as it should be? And are you really an authentic Christian? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So there is a, this is a true, a, a watering down of the faith. And I, and I oh. wonder, I mean, is there a litmus test? I mean, a, 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 what is a true Christian? Maybe that would be, you know, here, here are the guideposts that determine whether you are a true Christian or not. Yeah.
3: So I think there are two things. One is on the doctrinal side. I, as a theologian, I look at whether they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ that he's God incarnate and that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And uh, anyone who would say that, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to them uh, that they are on that side, on the doctrinal side, Christian. On the more personal lifestyle side, I just want to see passion for Jesus and for his church. And uh, when that's lacking, when there's really not a passion there, um, so this past Sunday, just to give you an example, um, our pastor, who thinks a lot like I do, said at the potluck this Sunday, let's not sit around the tables and talk about anything but Jesus. Hmm. Tell the people at the table what you think of Jesus and what hmm. Jesus has done in your life, and let's let's make it a really Jesus-centered potluck meal. Hmm. And of course, I don't know what went on at every table, but we did at our my table. And um, I think people who are eager to do that. uh, I I don't doubt their Christianity. People who are reluctant to do that, I go, well, why? Why why don't you want to talk about Jesus and your relationship with him and who he is to you and Mm -hmm. things like that? Mm -hmm. I want to hear some passion and excitement
2: Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So um, we only have a, a minute left, Roger, so I, I hesitate to jump into a whole new thing. But I want to ask you a quick question with a quick answer. How is your okay. new church? You shared with us maybe a couple yeah. of years ago that you, for, your, for the first time in a long time, you and your wife were church shopping. Uh, you've landed, and now what do you think?
3: Yeah, love it. Uh, I have coffee with my pastor uh, about once or twice a month, and he's great, and uh, he's passionate for Jesus. And I would say all the people in the congregation that I know personally are. And I started a Wednesday night Bible study. Oh, good for you which they had given up because of covid for a while. Sure. And they're all coming back, not everyone in the church, but a lot of people are coming to study the bible and to really dig deeper into it. So we are just we couldn't be more pleased with the church wow. that we found.
1: Excellent. Really happy for you. I Roger. mean that's super exciting that people get together to talk about Jesus. I mean, why wouldn't yeah. you want to do that, right?
3: We, we did that when I was a kid and a teenager That's, yeah why not now
1: excellent Roger it's always a pleasure uh, your your blog and uh, your your in-person conversations always encourage us and help us probe uh, to a deeper faith so so thank you so thank much you. you're welcome bye Goodbye. Dr. Roger Olson, Emeritus Professor of Christian Theology at Baylor University, author of more than 20 books, including The Story of Christian Theology and The Modern Journey of Modern Theology. Dr. Roger Olson. How would you say uh, your, your handwriting is? Oh, my God. Not good? Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. Uh,
2: it's terrible. I, ne- I very rarely do it.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Are you writing, are you printing or using cursive?
2: I never use cursive except to sign a check, hmm. so it's just printing.. printing right. When I went to uh, design school, you have to learn, you know, architectural lettering.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. And so you just
2: I ended up morphing that, that with
1: my handwriting. Right.: Well, uh, I saw an article uh, about our handwriting muscles. And this is—I mean—I often think about cursive versus you know printing. I think most people print nowadays. Mm -hmm. Cursive was probably more of our grandmother's Mm -hmm. or parents' generation. Anyway, the article essentially says this: that there was a a woman, her name is uh, Asha Ata, and she used to write by hand a lot until the pandemic came in, and so there she was out of the workforce, and she was just using her laptop and you know on social media, yada yada, like we all surrendered to. When the pandemic was over. For her, she went back to her marketing job, sitting in a meeting, picked up a pen to write, and essentially said, "I forgot how to do it." And the more that I did write and ta- taught myself to relearn writing, the hand, my muscles in my hand hurt her like crazy.
2: So they are so like the handwriting muscles are a thing. Yes. So they kind of atrophy. And if you don't use them. So yep. that's why my handwriting is so terrible. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Cursive was dropped from the Common Core curriculum uh, in 2010, which is surprising. I mean, I thought it was gone decades and decades ago. But the problem isn't that we're just writing less. The technology, of course, has also changed the way that we use our hands. Uh, The more time we spend on our devices, the greater the probability of problems with our hands and wrists. Just before we did this segment, I picked up my phone and I had some weird phantom, ow, ow. Like, my hands are feeling the effects of me holding onto that phone and texting often. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's probably uh, if you would speak to a hand surgeon, I bet you their numbers have increased tenfold because of that.
2: My wrists are both disasters
1: because of your tech. Uh,
2: No, it's from the workouts that I have done for a long time, but they're just done. I can't. They're done. I have. I have to go see somebody about my wrists. No kidding. Especially my left wrist is horrible, terrible. So, how does that affect your technology? I don't think it affects my technology because I don't notice it when I type. Really? Or when I use a mouse. No, I notice it when I'm trying to lift something, mm, like you you're said. Weak. Uh, or especially if I'm like leaning on them, mm, then it's really bad.
1: Mm, mm, mm. I'm not saying it's the beginning Any of Any hand end.
2: experts want to be in touch one well, 800 I remember being
1: a kid and my grandfather would always rock, walk around with a little rubber ball. Oh, he was always squeezing. He was always squeezing the ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was his thing. Mm-hmm. But not my phone is him blinking i'm not quite sure why
2: <laughs> because there are all of these hand experts that are getting in touch <laughs> saying hey kath come see me I, i'll rebuild
1: your wrist so how so your handwriting your printing is just horrible poor, poor, even though you learned architectural style yeah it's horrible. I
2: mean, now if I sit down and concentrate. If
1: you're on writing it, somebody like a nice thank you note.
2: That's fine. Like, it'll be okay. It'll be passable. But like the notes that I took for yesterday's show. That's okay. Cause it's looked, just for you. I looked at them last night Did and you? I thought, oh my Right. Gosh, what's
1: happening? Well, cuz it's just shorthand. You yeah, can but recognize it's, it, but, it's
2: horrible. But like
1: it's if embarrassing. you embarrassing, you passed away and your kids looked at the notes and they were like, "What was mom what saying is there?" What was she saying? she like suffering she, some really, sort of cognitive exactly. decline early. Oh, we had no <laughs> idea. The poor woman. <laughs> and she had bad wrists. <laughs> what the heck?
2: She was managing so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And the the body's weird, isn't it? I mean, so, like like I've been walking a lot. But now when I get up like like off of my desk, it's like I can barely walk and I just walked like three miles. Right. Yeah, what yeah. What's up with
2: that? Well, that's the I thought thing I'd be stronger Once you get going, you're fine. I'm it's fine. just the it's the initial acceleration.
1: You ever do this? Sometimes I like, get out of my car like I'm driving. Get, get out of your You park your car and you drive. And then I, I, like, I get out of the car and then I have to stand there for like a few seconds what, to let things settle to, <laughs> to gather myself <laughs> like okay but for the walk it's so weird it's so weird like yeah i'm standing there okay you okay all right <laughs> I, I, it's just an age thing i truly yeah. do believe that
2: lex do you do that when you get out of the car oh, you have to settle yourself yeah i 100 come to. on yeah. you're, you're
1: being facetious uh-huh. uh, you are no? No, you're shaking your No, head? not at all. You have to stand there and... and, and really?
2: Yeah, I have to. Sometimes... I just... I need to get, like... It's more, like, for my mental health than my physical health, though. Sometimes I just have to, like, stand and be like, all right, here I am. I'm safe. Okay, here we go. We're going. I We're going it. in. I'm at I point B. I'm, I went from point A to point B, and
1: I'm here. Do you do this? This sometimes, when I'm driving, sometimes I worry about more about the people behind me than the people in front of me.
2: No, listen, that's a healthy thing.
1: I'm not sure listen, about that. I have a friend. I'm having all these conversations. People are, like, have no idea that I'm even there. Okay,
2: well, listen. I have a friend who teaches uh, driving. Yeah to uh, people who are getting commercial licenses. Yeah. And he says that he first thing he teaches them is that 90% of accidents start Behind you, I've, I've been rear-ended exactly. twice in the last two years. So he says he teaches his people to always be looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, so I think you're right about it. I think you're good to do that.
1: All right. Well, there's nothing I can... They don't, it
2: didn't help you with No, the,
1: if they choose yeah. not to stop, I have no defensive measure. Right.
2: Well, sometimes you could, depending on where you are. Yeah. Not if you're in the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. No, exactly. But you can get out of the way if you're on a four-lane highway, maybe.
1: All right. So that's a segment. Yeah, Bad handwriting, cursive, <laughs> uh, looking in the rearview mirror, and bad wrists. You heard it here on the right.
2: Home, we'll be right back. I was with some friends from high school a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they're people that I knew well, uh, but haven't seen in a while, you know what I mean? So it was kind yeah. of like we ran into each other catching up at an, at an event, um, and I wasn't expecting to see them. They weren't expecting to see me. So it was super nice to get caught up and like, Hey, how are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And these are people who had been, uh, we'd been in the same church, um, or in the same like youth group type of thing. And so I knew we had a lot of commonality, a lot of common background over many, many years, um, growing up in the same type of church environments and, uh, being around the same age and that sort of thing. Anyway, So getting into a conversation um, with them, this one woman that I was speaking to started revealing some of what she called her her spiritual wanderings. Hmm. That was that was the term she used. And I said, oh, okay. I'm I'm always interested in people's spiritual wanderings. I said, oh, guys, tell me about that. And uh, she started talking about how, well, you know, I used to be an evangelical, but I'm not anymore. Well, I hear that all the time now. Sure. I don't even want to say I'm an evangelical anymore. The based label on, has taken because on. it's taken on a political uh, classification instead of a theological classification. So I said, oh, you know, yeah, I get that. But she said, well, but, you know, it's, it's more than the political thing. She said, you know, I left uh, our conservative background behind. And I said, oh, you mean like. So you're thinking about it politically should no 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 no. She said, I just feel like we were way too concerned when we were little and growing up in the church about uh Christianity and sexuality. I feel like that was way too much a part of our uh faith commitment. And um it turned into us deciding who's in and who's out. And I don't like that. And I've just been exploring writers who have opened my mind to different things. And uh, I still believe in Jesus, she said. Um, I still believe in, you know, his death and resurrection. But I think a lot of the things that we she said, a lot of the things we put in the Bible, I don't think are really there. So we talked about that for a long time. And and basically for her, what it came down to is the fact that the Bible is good to read, but it's not really authoritative. The only thing that she feels good about are what kind of the red letter. She's like a red letter Christian. Hmm. Uh, Shane Claiborne uh, has been on our show a bunch of times talking about that, is that they value the words of Jesus and then everything else is kind of. Substandard.
1: Well, there certainly is a lot to be said about the importance of Jesus', Jesus
2: words. Jesus' words, right? Right. But the traditional perspect—not the, the traditional. I shouldn't say that. But the perspective that she and I grew up in was different than that, which is the Bible's the Word of God. In beginning word of God. to end. Yeah. And if you're reading something in Isaiah, it's every bit as authoritative as something that Jesus said, right. because Jesus is the Word, and He is all of the. The idea he 's the culmination of all of it, yes, um, and so it was it, it was just interesting to talk to somebody who had been who we'd been in the same place, and she had journeyed kind of a long way off and um we it was there was nothing contentious about it it was really we, we there was a good give and take old friends old friends, no issue whatsoever, but it did make me think that night when I went home. Isn't it interesting when people change?
1: And it's fairly common. You reach a certain age, you know, like you just said, your your faith in high school, for some people, uh, twists in the wind uh, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. 50s. Until you would think that you would have a mature faith, although I guess that twisting in the wind is just another outcropping of that mature faith or not.
2: Well, okay, so that's the question. Right. That's the question. I did not want to respond to her saying, well, what do you mean the Bible isn't the word of God? You're wrong. Because she was just talking about where she was she wasn't making hard and fast statements and i felt as if i needed to honor the fact that she was searching that she had an open mind she was still looking for god is what i'm saying i she
1: had found god
2: well she i yeah she thought she had i don't know i i I felt like she and I definitely have ended up at this point in our lives in different places. Mm-hmm. But if we live another, the two of us, she and I, another five years or another 30 years, we're also probably going to end up in different places then, too. You never know what how people are going to land.
1: Don't you think in today's day and age, especially if you're intellectually and faith-curious, that a lot of people, you know, your friends pass away, your family members pass away and you think they, they've got to be in heaven. They, mm-hmm. they, are they, are they, how can they not be? And so I think because a lot I of love them so much, right? And a lot of people, I believe, turn to a universalist approach to faith and disavow gigantic pieces of God's word to fit comfortably where emotionally they need to be. Mm. I think that's yeah, what that's happens. Yeah, that's a good
2: point. Yeah, you think that's what it is. I yeah. do.
1: I I you know, you you can't imagine how can they be suffering? That's just not that's not possible. And so people will pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And of course we're told not to pick and right. choose. Well, and, you I, know, and all I, Jesus
2: all I think of with that is none of us can judge any other person. God is the only judge. And if you know God, you know that he's good and faithful and he does not change. So if anybody, anybody, anybody is going to judge fairly, it's the God who made the person that you're loving and missing and all of that. Right. And none of us know what happens in in the waning hours of someone's life. No one knows. It's not for us to know is the bottom line.
1: And does my judgment matter on their no.
2: life? No, of course not. No, of course it doesn't matter.
1: But, but, <laughs> but your friend, and as you described, the twisting in the wind and their faith.
2: I mean, she's looking at people now who she's talking to about faith, and she's not going to try to to talk about Jesus. She's not going to try to, you know. Uh, spread her faith to someone else if she doesn't think that it matters. Now, we didn't get into that. Right, right. But why would she?
1: In the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk uh, with a guest about what is truth. And, you know, we live in this age where my truth is... (laughs) I hate that so much. My truth is different than Than your your truth, truth. Right, right. And so there's nothing that's absolute anymore. Now... Was there ever anything Yes, absolute? there is.
2: There are things that are... Absolute well, truth. There are things that are absolute truth. But, it's g- just our thought that they're not. It doesn't change. Like, if I think that, you know, the sky isn't blue, it doesn't keep it from being blue. It just means that my perspective on it is wrong.
1: Religiously, is there an absolute truth?
2: Yes, of course there's an absolute truth. There's an absolute truth. Like, there's an absolute truth about chemistry or physics but or,
1: your friends her absolute truth is different than your absolute well because
2: truth. I, but here's the thing both of us have to bow the knee ultimately to the absolute truth.
1: Got to serve somebody.
2: You have to we have to do that. There will come a time when we will find out what the truth is and you know that's why I feel like we should I, I'm happy with where I've landed mm-hmm. in and plus, if you read the Bible, how can you not think that the prophets have to do with the coming of Jesus? It's how can you think that Genesis doesn't have to do with Revelation? Right. How can you read the, the story of the kings or the story of the Exodus and not see how it fits into to Jesus' death and uh, suffering and resurrection? I mean, the, it's, the whole book is a unit.
1: But we'll go back to that friend that ultimately our God, our Christ is, is a God of love. Yes. And so come to me, all you who are weary. Right. And so how can we be the exclusion?
2: Because I don't think we should be. I mean, it's not for us to be the exclusion. No, it's all. I think it's, it's only our responsibility to testify to Jesus and to let his words stand for themselves that's how i look at it when i talk to somebody about jesus i don't try to convince them that it that there's a heaven or hell unless they ask i don't try to i really don't try to convince them of anything i just try to be there and answer questions and testify to, for the jesus i know
1: we're called to evangelize to speak the truth yeah yeah And maybe
2: I'm too, do you you think I'm too weak on that? I
1: I, I don't want to judge you on that. I think it's a common thing. So yes, yes. I think all of us, very few people evangelize well because we, we like those people that I just described want the God of love to be the God of love and not to be exclusionary and not to be hard or harsh or divisive or exclude, you know, we don't want to do that. But that is the truth and I of the gospel. Yeah,
2: but I don't think, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to alter that truth, no. but I also don't want to go in with that. I don't want to lead with that. I don't want to start a conversation and say, yeah, well, you know what? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the hammer.
1: I get it. I fully understand. I don't want to be the hammer either.
2: Do you think I should have been the hammer when I was talking no, to
1: her? No, 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 no. You, you were just catching up with an yeah, old friend. right. And you knew her then, and she's presenting different now. So who are you to say you're
2: Yeah, right. You're that, wrong. Wouldn't you're that have crazy. been stupid to say no, that? Yeah, that course. would have been you like just, really offensive.
1: You're going to end a friendship yeah. or just make people angry and think, well, what's up with the calf? Why is she so judgmental? <laughs> right, said, boy. What's up with what her?
2: What happened to calf?
1: I mean, jeez. <laughs> She's been my buddy at, right. in youth group.
2: Isn't she watching Homeland?
1: I guess she's an evangelical. <laughs> right. Right? Oh. And all that. It, it just comes with know. so much baggage. It, it does. It does come with a lot of baggage. What's your truth, care
2: Oh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we need to take a step away. But when we come back, Fred and Joanne Rogers' Summer Estate is up for sale. You might want to consider the purchase.
1: A handwritten letter, dated December 23, 1949, by Joanne Byrd to her boyfriend at the time, Fred Rogers, is displayed on a table. Aww. She penned it when she was a senior at Rollins College on a break at her from her home in Jacksonville, Florida. Fred had already graduated from Rollins and was staying at his family's summer home near Latrobe. It is one piece of the history inside the house that has stayed in the family, becoming a retreat for Fred and Joanne Rogers. Well, now that retreat, that property is up for sale. Current owners are uh, Chris and Linda Frank. They call this place magical, just like the theme of the late Fred Rogers show on WQED, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. She said, every time we come up the driveway, we take it all in. Courtesy of Ryan Snyder, the main house... Sits on forty-six acres. Wow! In Unity Township, that once belonged to Fred and Joanne Rogers. It is known as the Evergreens. The couple purchased the property known as the Evergreens on New Year's Eve in twenty twenty-two. They welcomed twenty twenty-three by sleeping on a mattress on the first Wait, floor. Twenty twenty-two. Uh, yes. This, so this is the current owner. Oh, the current owners. Yes. Mm-hmm. The home has six bedrooms and four full bathroom Bathrooms, a log cabin, and a Tudor home are also on the lush property the current owners wanted to develop the property with a large custom residence as a way to share the rogers family compound with the community They also live uh, in another home in penn township in butler county but now it's up for sale they said it's just too much we're we're aging out the home is so rich in history 46 acres there's ponds there's wooded uh, retreats you name it and it's all for sale for the princely sum of 2.9 million dollars wouldn't it be lovely? Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know where Unity Township is.
1: Yeah. Um, it's in the Butler area. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners, we probably have listeners from the area.
2: Sure Unity we do. Area. Yeah. So I forgive me for not knowing mm-hmm. your area. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up with uh, a second home. Uh, a summer home. A summer home. Yes. Yeah. Which... And it was it is for sure in the cottage variety. I mean, this is this was a house without heat. Right. This was a house on a lake. Um,
1: now, if you're old enough, you remember this. I mean, w- w- we never had one of these, but we stayed in many of these and had friends. When you say it's a cottage variety, it's essentially a a, a small house mm-hmm. without central air right. or central heating. Right. It's just. I mean, a little, uh, not to minimize it, a little south of a shack. It is, right? It really is. But it was a summer retreat. Yes, I lived
2: there. I lived there in the summers on Chautauqua Lake when I was growing up. Um, all the years. My, uh, my parents bought it when I was in fifth grade. And uh, I just sold it after my dad's death a couple years ago. And. Um,
1: 2.9 million. Yeah.
2: <laughs> For considerably
1: less yeah, than that. Yeah, of course.
2: Um, but. It's a lot of work to have two homes. Oh, I can't imagine. And this is not when I say a home. It really was a home, but calling it a house was a stretch. Right. Um, but it's just a lot of work yeah. to do that. You forget what you have in each place. Oh, I th- don't we have a pan here for that? Don't we have a skillet? Well, maintenance on or, one house that, is enough. Exactly. And I thought Two I houses? left the. I thought when I left here there were eggs. Mm-hmm. It's like you. It's just a lot, and you know there were no laundry facilities at, at the cottage, and so you were always taking laundry back and forth, and food back and forth. Anyway. Well, was, mice? Oh, we had mice, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it was just, I, I loved it so much, but it's also a big commitment. Mm-hmm. Well, it
1: would be nice to uh, at least look yes. at the Fred and Joanne Rogers house. I'd like to look at it. Right? Them. On four, 46 acres. It's a lot. Can you imagine wandering around 46 acres? I just like love it. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of The Ride Home. Kath? um
2: it's the post-election day edition of The Ride
1: Home. Post-election day. So, uh, isn't it interesting? When I went to bed last night, of course, there was not a lot that was settled.
2: No, yeah, when I I and that well I went to bed and then I did some things. It, I was reading and then by the time I looked at my phone before I went to sleep, they had called out. Yes, they mm-hmm. had called Inamorado as the winner and they had called Zapala. The
1: mm-hmm. So I woke up this morning and looked at my phone and was like, "Okay, you know, and it's always surprising. Uh, the day after the election yeah, is uh, always Yeah. Okay, like-
2: so if it was a um a turn towards uh, market liberalism mm-hmm. then Zappala wouldn't have won well, that's right? that's a that's very a, weird equation so that so yeah, i think yeah, so it's not i don't think it's it's the tide of leftism taking over pittsburgh um i think it's Name recognition, do you think? Do you I think don't know.
1: It's... I can't say. I... Because, look, I mean, Sarah Emirato and Joe Rocky, that was a super, super tight race. It
2: was, right.
1: Not a lot of votes separated what did it end,
2: What did it end up being? Do you know how many
1: 49 pers- to 51.
2: Okay.
1: I mean, t- a yeah. tiny margin. Yeah. And, and not a lot of people voted, which really surprised me. Like, I think 40% of registered oh, voters. Oh, I hate that. 40%. Oh, I hate that. Maybe 41%. So- what are people thinking? I'm you not you... sure
2: why you just look at voting as something that is optional. I just know. do it.
1: Why was there not a bigger turn? It's really, up, really right? frustrating. Okay, so s- I don't know.
2: I look at that race. Um, the Sarah Emirato, Emirato, Joe Rocky mm-hmm. race. And I think it's um, it's just curious to me that if that Joe Rocky um, is an outsider but definitely has the experience quotient Big time, right as does zapala big time and so it's just it's cure it's just surprising that one race went one way and the other went the other every time every different way i look at those two races it's surprising that we had two different outcomes it's
1: a split decision you would yeah. think that it would just be one way or yeah. the other and yeah. sarah imirato i mean talk I, about underqualified i
2: don't i, I know and i and All the things that I have read about her perspective on um, law enforcement, her perspective on what's going on downtown. I'm just, I'm, I guess, I'm just, I'm surprised that she won.
1: Just identity politics. I I guess it is. I I believe that we've been really spoiled by the Rich Fitzgerald tenure here. Oh, my gosh. Rich Fitzgerald, uh, of course, no one's perfect, but he has been a rock. Yeah. Right. He's not a flashy guy. It's not about Rich Fitzgerald. And he, I believe, went about and did the people's business to the best of his ability. And, uh, of course, uh, excluded because of term limits. But I think that we're going to see a hard, hard turn here toward left progressive politics. How hard can it be, is my question. A lot. Well. I think it's going to be big time hard.
2: Okay. Well, I'll be curious to see how that pans out.
1: Because you've got the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh, right. who is very left, and now the Allegheny County uh, yeah, lead position. Chief, right, chief That's going to be hard left. Mm-hmm. Um, I was glad that uh, Stephen Zappala won. I'm yeah. surprised that he did.
2: Again. Isn't that funny? Yep. I mean, he certainly he represented someone who has been in the position for a long time. The yes, old guard. But certainly, he seems... Uh, age-wise, experience-wise, to have been—he uh, and Joe Rocky would have been—it seems like they would appeal to the same type of voter. Yes.
1: I always thought, you know, when you think about the cigar-filled back rooms, you know, that politics has built its bedrock on, that that, the Democratic stronghold, that back room, cigar-filled room, mm-hmm. was like a bedrock. Now, yeah. what's happened here right. with the progressive shift?
2: It's a whole different thing. That
1: cigar-filled room is, is no longer. It is a whole different thing. Those who were in charge before. And I think you can go back to the Costa upset, right? The Dom Costa upset. Summer Lee coming in. Mm-hmm. And all. There's a just a totally different feel here to Democratic politics.
2: Last week, Jonah Goldberg wrote a really interesting article in The Dispatch. Yeah. Um, and his point was that looking at candidates like Sarah Inamorado um, across the nation, that Democrats have a MAGA wing, just like the Republicans have. Sure, right. And it's, now— It's the other side of the coin, Right. And so now they're going to start with, like, Rashida Tlaib and all the things that she has been either saying or not saying about Certainly. Israel and Gaza. and Gaza. Um Democrats aren't sure how to respond to her, just like Republicans have been unsure how to respond to the MAGA crowd since the MAGA crowd became a thing. But um, I encourage you to check out Jonah Goldberg's article because he's just such an incredible writer. But it made me think this is going to be interesting to see how the will the center of both parties hold.
1: It doesn't feel that way, does it? It doesn't feel that way at all. The center, the moderate in the middle, that that space is diminished greatly, greatly. Now, we're going to have a debate this evening. Yeah, we're going to have a debate. Maybe may may of zero consequence. Right. Why are we even holding a debate?
2: I don't. Well, because I don't because I think that not everybody people don't want to believe that uh, it's just going to be down to Biden and Trump. I, I know don't, I don't want to believe, well, you know, that.
1: it's going to be I, I, short of some cataclysmic earthquake.
2: Well, any. Listen. Anything cataclysmic could happen to either one of them.
1: We have less than a year to right? go.
2: Right, We have less than a year to go. Uh, so mm-hmm. tonight, it'll be Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott of South Carolina. Does
1: anybody of those people make you want to jump up and go, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think so.
2: I would vote. Uh, sh- Two of them would get my vote.
1: Really? Maybe just, three of them would get what? my vote. Okay, yeah. so you're different than I am yeah. about this. Yeah. I am not like going woo.
2: I'm not going
1: woo. Big excitement here. But
2: I would... Definitely vote for uh, three of these people over Mr. Trump. I'm saying that because I'm a Republican. Right. So I'm thinking about my party.
1: Heaven help us. These are strange days. Indeed. They sure are strange. OK, days. we'll take a quick break. That's where we are. Just checking in on politics. Mm, all
2: right. Vance Christie's joining us on the show today, writer and speaker, and also former pastor of the Evangelical Free Church in Aurora, Nebraska. Vance, welcome in.
4: Thank you so much. It's good to be with you, John and Kathy.
2: Are we speaking to you from Nebraska today?
4: Um, you are. Excellent. The heart of Nebraska. Very nice. Well,
1: sort of (laughs) Vance, We, we, uh, we read widely and uh, we came across uh, a really interesting uh, uh, article that you wrote, actually two articles about Mary Livingston. Now I'm interested always of the great people of faith, especially from a historical perspective. And so uh, when you would say the name David Livingston, Mm -hmm. I think people would have a real common response to that. Um, David Livingston, of course, right. Um, I presume it's right. This is a real sort of a historical thing about uh, Dr. Dr. Livingston in the middle of the African jungle. Yeah.
4: Yes. Um, that's the phrase that many people about the extent of what many people know about David Livingston, that phrase that. um he was greeted with in the jungle, Dr. Livingston, I presume, <laughs> when Henry Morton Stanley found him there.
1: Yes, that, that's about it, I think, for most people. But, of course, the yeah. story goes much further. Yeah.
2: So tell us about David first.
4: Yes, David was a renowned um, 19th century missionary doctor. So he lived in the 1800s. Um, In addition to being a missionary, he explored extensively in the south-central and southeastern regions of Africa. Um, He helped to bring um, Christianity and commerce to that entire area of the continent, And he is credited for being one of the most um, influential individuals in helping to bring an end to the slave trade in that portion of Africa.
1: Fascinating. So then the story goes that David Livingston, as a young man when he was in his early 30s, met a young woman who was also uh, a child of missionary parents. Tell us a little bit about the background of Mary Livingston. Now, when I, when I read your article and, and you go deeper into this, this is not for the faint of heart. These people are of not, mm-hmm. not of our time. Yeah. They lived a totally different way. Their hardship to us would be, I mean, incomprehensible in many ways.
4: Absolutely. Mary was born in um, April of 1821, and her parents, Robert and Mary Moffat, were missionaries serving with the London Missionary Society. Her parents had had established the mission's northernmost mission station at Kuramon, which was located about 500 miles north of Africa's southern coast. And Mary was the Moffat's responsible firstborn of the 10 children who were eventually born to her parents. Um, between the ages of 9 and 18, wow. she received her education at a Wesleyan boarding school in Eastern Cape Colony for five years, and then for three additional years received training as an early education teacher in um, Cape Town, South Africa. And then between the ages of 18 and um, 22, she returned to England for a period of years with her parents, where Robert, her dad, was carrying out um, extensive missionary ministries, promoting African missions um, back in Britain.
1: Vance, let me stop you here for one second, because what you just said is extraordinary. And I believe it sort of, you know, would quickly gloss over how it formed a person's life. Now, Kath and I have friends uh, who grew up uh, as children of missionaries in Africa and the family at a young age, they were all sent off to boarding school as well. I mean, to leave your mother and father at five or six years of age, as you just talked about Mary Livingston, and then not to see your parents regularly for a decade. Decade or more that unto itself is mm-hmm. astounding, and it really would sort of change the course of a person
4: 's life, how you would look at the world absolutely and that same pattern played out in how um, David and Mary Livingston um, ended up educating their own children, as we may have time to talk about um, today
2: so um, so talk about how uh David and Mary met um and how they decided to marry
4: David had served as a missionary in um Africa at Kuruman the uh, Kuruman was his home base that was the mission station that the Moffats had established about 20 years earlier um so he had served there for 2 years before Mary Moffat, his future wife, returned um, with her parents. And so they met there at Kuruman in late 1843. Early the following year, um, David settled at a new mission station called Mabutsa, 220 miles north of Kuromon, um, to establish the new work there. Um, that July, however, he returned to Kuramon, spent three weeks there um with the Moffats. He had been definitely attracted to Mary Moffat, um, the daughter, and um he saw that she possessed many positive characteristics that would um um help her to be an excellent partner with whom he could share life and ministry. She had been raised there in Africa. She spoke the Sichuana language um, like um, the Africans themselves did. She had become an early elementary school teacher there at Kuramon. The children were fond of her, and perhaps most importantly, or, or certainly extremely important, um, she was familiar with the demands and sacrifices of missionary life, and she was willing to embrace those. So while um, David was at Kuruman on that occasion, he proposed and marriage, Mary accepted his proposal of marriage. He returned to Mabutsa for several more months to um, build a, a home to which he could bring his new bride and then um on January second eighteen forty five they were married at Kuramon.
2: Well, it doesn't sound like the normal type of uh like the yeah uh, like, or the dating that we <clears throat> right. have in uh current Western time.
1: Now, David, I mean, our time, I'm sorry, our time is so short, but uh, the preface to David and Mary becoming engaged, and you write about this in your excellent article, is that David Livingston was mauled by a lion and seriously injured before he proposed and met Mary Livingston. I mean, that into itself shows you how dangerous what it would be like to be a missionary dedicated to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Africa at the time of David and Mary Livingston's lives.
4: Yes, Mabutsa, the station that he was helping to establish, had a real lion population um, problem. Um, The lions were actually quite aggressive in that area. And that was one of the challenges, one of many that would be faced when they returned there to begin their married life together.
2: Wow, it's a fascinating story. It is. So...
1: The difficulty of the two of them together, I mean, they you write about this. I'll just truncate this. They go from place to place, from essentially outpost to outpost, whether it's professional jealousy or because of drought or any other sort of things that drove their ministry forward. All the while, Mary Livingston is having children
4: and David is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, they... Um, serve not just at Mabutsa but they help us they help to establish two other mission stations further north of there. And in addition, um David on his own on one occasion and them together as a family on two other occasions traveled six hundred and then eight hundred miles further into the interior on these long journeys to meet interior tribes who lived there um and to um open the way to bringing the christian message to them um throughout their first 7 years of marriage mary gave birth to 5 children in the midst of all those challenging um journeys and um the the very um um Busy mission responsibilities that they were carrying out. Interesting. So what about the reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean,
1: they're speaking in native languages, I'm sure in native dialects. Um, There's a lot been written about that, about, you know, the colonization of people and the gospel Mm -hmm. being used as a tool. Can you talk about that, about the friendliness and the reception of the gospel in Africa in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s?
4: well david was so um friendly toward africans himself um he was very receptive toward um their customs um at least those that did not run contrary to scripture um he in a good sense was familiar with um the africans so he himself tended to gain um, a good hearing from the Africans because they would rather quickly place their confidence in him. And of course, Mary, Mary being raised um, from earliest childhood, ministering to Africans, um, she was well received as well.
1: Interesting. So today you would call that they were whimsical for the gospel in yeah, some way, winsome. right? So, yes, winsome, winsome, yeah, Yes,
2: yeah. wisdom uh, Yeah. So with our time being almost done, I just need to ask you the question, why write on David and Mary Livingston? Like, what does what talk...
1: It's, it's fascinating.
2: Yeah. yeah. What's the uh what's the connection? Why um have they captured your attention?
4: Um all my life I, I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. I have heard of David Livingston and um knew that he was a very prominent uh, missionary to South Southern Africa. And, um, as I have had the opportunity to research and write about him my um my um, esteem for the man has mm-hmm. has increased just a hundredfold because he and Mary endured such hardships, made such sacrifices, and all for the sake of Um, helping of being used of the Lord to advance Christ's kingdom work and bring the good news of salvation to people who had never heard that message and who needed to hear it. Um, I have just counted it a great privilege to write about them.
1: Yes. Well, Vance, our time is is finished, and we apologize for that in some way, because the subject itself, as you know, uh, so deeply fascinating, we've barely even touched it, but the idea of David and Mary Livingston, and what they gave for the gospel of Christ, and uh, to have Jesus out into the world, it truly is fascinating. Before you leave us, if people want to know more about you and your writings, uh, please tell us where they can reach you.
4: Yes, I do have a writing website. The address is simply www.vancechristie.com. And um, you can find features about the Livingstons and many other significant men and women of Christian um, faith and history at that site. And also... Um, uh, I would certainly hope that many people will check out the book that I've written. Um, it's a, a comprehensive book on um, the lives of David and Mary. That is entitled David Livingston, Missionary Explorer Abolitionist, published by Christian Focus Publications. Excellent. Well,
1: Vance, it's been a pleasure.
4: Thanks so much for being with us today. And thank you so much for um, the opportunity to share about this great husband-wife team serving Christ. Blessings on you and your important ministries as well. Thank you. Blessings to you as well. Uh, VanceChristy.com to learn more about the uh,
1: Mary and David Livingston uh, story. Just really fascinating. VanceChristy.com. Yeah, does what make sense?
2: Uber, Lyft, whatever your preference is. As opposed to a taxi? Yep. As opposed to a shuttle?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Now, I'm not a big fan of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it makes sense. It's a game changer. Tell
2: me about that. Well...
1: I mean, for years, the the taxi network, if you needed a taxi, Mm -hmm. it, it was a monopoly. And so they excluded large portions of geography and people. And you just were on the outs. You couldn't get a ride. So Uber and Lyft have become the great, you know, democratic equalizer in some way. But what I find with both of them, it's extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's through the roof. Yep. What the heck? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I pine in some ways for taking a yellow cab. Right. Living in New York City, I, I, mean, I, can't, I took cabs. I bet you did. They were, you know, there was always a luxury. I always felt like an adult riding in a yellow cab.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes sense. Of course, yes, it makes sense. You're saying it doesn't make sense? No, it
2: doesn't make sense. Oh, on, John, make sense. get out of here. It doesn't make sense. I what? use, listen, I use both yeah. Uber and Lyft. And as I am getting into the car, I am acknowledging the fact that I am doing something that does not make sense. Why? Because here's the thing, John. Now, everything you're saying about Yellow Cab being exclusive, yes, 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 and yes. However, how have we talked ourselves into, especially as a woman, I'm just getting in mm, some, some car, car. Yeah. with some person. I get it. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, no,
1: you're right about that.
2: Now I've probably done di- I've probably done it 30 times, 40, 50 times.
1: Well, isn't there a better way to like, you know, like you know the what yellow is cab? The way? I don't know.
2: I don't know that there's a better way, which might be why I'm still doing it, but I want to say out loud yeah. that as I
1: it make sense. Wait, one of our listeners is like has a car service, and he's always saying to you, "Hey, Kath, call me." Oh
2: yeah, I lost his number. What's up with that? I lost his number. He, he's a good guy, and I'm sure he is. I lost his number.
1: Right. Hey, does this make sense? Insta rice noodles potatoes, like the things in a bag. Like my kid will eat those things. Insta rice, Insta
2: noodles. Absolutely never.
1: What if you're hungry on Not. the go?
2: How hard is it to make your own rice? Well, how about make your own noodle? That can take three minutes.
1: No, no, no. Noodles take more than three minutes. If you get angel oh, here, they, they right. don't take more than three minutes? You've got to boil the water.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, that's really de- demanding. <laughs> Insta-rice? No. I mean, like, Never. you know, how about at work? Never.
1: What if you want, like, a little rice dish while you're don't eat in the station? do your state? rice
2: dish at the station. Just, It's so easy. It's so easy. We were just talking about ultra-processed food. I yeah. think that's it. doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. sense. Earlier in today's program, John, you and I were talking about what happens when people change what happens when their beliefs change. I was telling the story about a friend of mine from high school who I recently uh, kind of ran into, um, and uh, she and I started talking, and she just started kind of explaining the spiritual journey she's been on, um, and it has led her to a place, theologically speaking, way different than where I am um, and where we both started, and I don't know, it just... It, it, it was one of those circumstances that it was very friendly and it was um we were both open with each other but definitely we we have opposed we think we're following opposing truths hmm. I think at this point um and so kind of interesting to think okay so You asked me the question, is there an absolute truth? And I said, of course there is. I mean, there is an absolute truth. Um, We're both, both she and I are going to bow our knee to the absolute truth one day. And um, until then, I'm not sure where we end up. Um, But Roger Woodworth is back on the program and he's written a new book called The Architecture of Truth, Reclaiming the Gospel from the World's Untruths. And I think it has a lot to say about uh, the situation I was in a couple of weeks ago. Roger, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with you guys, as always. Always a pleasure, Roger. You start off your uh, your work by uh, throwing a firebomb of truth, uh, where you quote cultural icon and talk show host Oprah Winfrey, where she was quoted as saying, speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now... From my perspective, I think from a lot of perspectives, my truth is different from Oprah's truth, which is different from your truth. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it?
5: No, it doesn't. And I think that goes to what Kathy had said about her friend and that we some people over time discover that their truth uh, is more significant, uh, better for them, if you will and they begin to follow it, and that begins to diverge from their friends, or more specifically, diverges from, from God's truth. And I think that's become pretty significant these days. And it seems to be um, correct with all of the relativity we have today um, uh, about faith, etc. Uh, we all seem to be following our own path rather than the truth of, of Christ who said of himself, I am the truth and the way and the only way to, to, to the Father. Hmm. And so when Jesus claims to be the truth, we we need to pay attention to that.
1: Yes. But even within Roger, Christian there are so many thousands of denominations, and within those denominations, people would claim one piece of jesus' truth and leave out other pieces of christian tr- of christian truth that's That's correct, don't you think
5: yeah I think so i, I, I you know we're we're talking about different um, uh, viewpoints of theology um, which is you know brought about this number of different denominations that we have today or different emphasis within a church. I'm a little less concerned about that than where, where the truths uh, diverge so much that it doesn't lead them to, to Christ himself. I think even within the diversity of denominational truths, if you will, um, we still need to find the, the cross uh, and, and Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and what all of that means. I can have a lot of differences between my uh, uh, reformed brothers and sisters, even uh, or Pentecostals or Baptists or whatever, on the views of baptism and and the Lord's Supper, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, what does Christ's death, burial, and resurrection mean? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's the ultimate uh, ultimate truth is, is is Christ's death and resurrection.
2: So, Roger, um, we remember what. Pontius Pilate said. Uh, what is truth? Right. Yep. So that's the question that pe- it's fascinating that it's the same question that thousands people ask thousands and thousands of years later. So um, you have um, responded, I think, to that question with uh, mm-hmm. the publication of this book. Um, can you talk about what you've been reading and what caused you to write what you've done here?
5: Well, I think we caused me to to write as I step back and look at uh, politics today, our culture, um, and again where everybody is claiming to have some kind of corner on the truth, especially in our uh, political realm today. But it also, you know, falls into the to the culture and everyday day life. What what is truth? I mean, that's the pilot question has uh, forever been attempted to be answered. Um, but as you know, that I I've quoted uh, Rudolf baltman saying that truth is, is God, because God is the creator, so he's the only true reality, and God in Jesus Christ. So we, we have to look at, you know, truth has, like everything, has an origin. I mentioned it. You know, when you have a piece of furniture, there's an origin of that furniture. There's a designer, and then there is someone who actually built it so truth itself has to have, to have an origin where did or, where did the truth come from and uh, ba- uh, baltman seems that we need to to look at god since he created everything truth has to and even from a reasonable standpoint come from god himself mm-hmm. and as god sent jesus christ to manifest uh, god uh, we find that truth in 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 jesus christ himself mm-hmm. um, and yet as i said uh, so uh, truth is in, in the short term is the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, and we've begun to exchange that truth for lots of other truths yeah. truths of uh, our, of our own making truths that kind of fit uh, what our situation is and benefits us. Hmm.
1: Roger, of course, we live in very difficult times. Uh, We have two major wars uh, encircling the globe, uh, anti-Semitism on a rise. Uh, You know, there is everywhere you look, it feels as though people are at war with each other in one way or another. And still, as as Kathy referenced, you know, Pontius Pilate asking about where is truth. As you're writing about truth, we cannot find an answer, even in the midst of our search for peace as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, In the search for truth, in the conclusion of all the work, did you find peace? Did you find truth?
5: Yeah, uh, I think so. I think, you know, I use my example of, of uh, getting fed up with my GPS. I put on my GPS to find my way someplace where I haven't gone before. But then somewhere along the line, I may disagree with that, that voice coming through my GPS, and I decide to go my own way, but it's not until I get completely lost that I recognize, and with my wife's encouragement, is to turn the GPS back on so I can find my way, even though I may have disagreed with that, that voice in uh, a while. And I think that, for me, it kind of symbolized, uh, you know, at times—and I still get lost at times because I want to go my own
1: way—but
5: sure. we really never come to the, the recognition that we need the ultimate source of truth in Christ— until we get lost, until we find ourselves in a predicament um, where, where we can't find our way anymore, that we get overwhelmed with, with, with life. Um, you know I think there are, there are a, a number of different things that, uh, you know, we Christians have, and other people have bought into at times, like the idea that God helps those who help themselves, or God never gives us more than we can handle. Right. Uh, many people believe that those are scriptural. Well, they're not. Um, God does give us more than we can handle, and Paul himself acknowledged that, that he got in over his head, and uh, thinking that we can uh, help ourselves out of uh, certain situations. Uh, But the reason God allows those things to happen, to get overwhelmed, uh, is so that we will come to him. So we've come to recognize that our way of trying to find truth or our way of trying to deal with life uh, will ultimately lead us to a place where we're lost or to a dead end or to some place where we just get overwhelmed and we begin to realize we got to return to, to the Lord. So in answer to your question, I would say that what happens with me now in, in the seek of truth is that I, I, spend, I spend less time when I get overwhelmed or get to a place where I'm... Uh, uh, in over my head, I turn to that the, the truth of Christ a lot quicker than I used to. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would spend more time trying to figure it out myself previously.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what maturity and wisdom will do for you, right?
5: Yes, and, and also making lots of mistakes and uh, <laughs> right. getting yourself in trouble. Yes, yes.
2: Realizing <laughs> that wasn't the best approach, maybe. Roger Woodworth no. is with us. Uh, Roger is a writer and a pastor. He's the author of Playing Favorites, Overcoming Our Prejudices to Bridge the Cultural Divide, and his latest one, which is called The Architecture of Truth. Um, only a, a minute or so left, Roger, but I, I just um, I was reading earlier this morning the story you include in your book uh, from Thomas Terrence, who. Uh, was a former member of the KKK. Um, yeah. Can can you relate his story? Um, because I think that you know um, that message of grace is something that we have to continually hear.
5: Yeah, I think his story. You know, he was a member of the KKK and, and just finally came to the end of himself, like I was talking about. But I think what I wanted to highlight with him is is that until we recognize God's, you know, grace. We, we we don't uh, we aren't able to uh, uh, get the, the mercy of God, and that's what he finally discovered was he had been through so many things with the KKK and found it to be an empty uh, philosophy, if you will, or way of life. Um, and God continued to uh, allow His grace to abound in this man's life in the midst of all kinds of horrible things with the KKK. And and then that that grace finally led him to mercy. I mean, grace is defined as uh, getting what we don't uh, deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And I think that's the, the whole idea of mercy is what is exemplified in his life. Uh, he didn't get what he deserved of all of the things that he had done in his life. And so that, that grace of God that bailed him out so many different times that kept him close to him, uh finally he recognized the mercy of God hmm. that he should not have survived some things he should not should have been punished a lot worse uh, than he was. And uh, he recognized the mercy of God. And yeah. so I think that was, for me, that was the highlight of his life, was, the, was God's mercy in his life. Yeah, and
2: I, yeah, and I love thinking about how uh, when a person truly repents, um, when greeted with that type of mercy, an entirely new life can unfold, which is what yes. happened for Thomas.
5: Yes. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to recognize that it's just not God's grace. It's also God's, God's mercy in us that enables right. us to live a different life. Yeah.
1: I'm into that.
2: Well, the new book is called The Architecture of Truth, Reclaiming the Gospel from the World's Untruths. So we've been talking to author Roger Woodworth.
1: Roger, always a pleasure. Excellent work. Thanks so much.
5: Thank you, too. God bless you both.
1: The Architecture of Truth.
2: Yeah, that focuses on the book of Titus, um, and uh, it's a little book, so you can you know get through it. It has a study guide at the end. Highly recommend.
1: Fabulous. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We're underway here. It's Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's the right home on Word FM. I, I don't know if this is an age thing. I, I presume it may be. But I, my travails on the parkway... Uh, I see the same mounds of trash coming and going mm-hmm. each day. And my my fantasy is pulling over and picking up the trash. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. But it, that's not...
1: Then I think how dangerous that is. Right, That, exa- is, that would right? be very dangerous. I mean... I, Which are, is
2: probably why no one's done it.
1: I'm not sure. Where's PennDOT? I see, again, uh, this is the eighth time I've talked about this, there is a gigantic piece of plastic sheeting outbound on the parkway east about half a mile from the squirrel tunnel that just hangs there and deteriorates
2: it hangs there on what
1: a rock just hangs there i've watched it deteriorate over several months my fantasy is to pull over somehow scale that it's not that high up yeah and pull it down on my way in, there's a black garbage bag filled with heaven knows what sitting on the side of a, an entrance ramp to the parkway. I always think I should pull over and pick that up, but then I get afraid.
2: Sure, because you're taking your life in your hands by doing that.
1: What's inside the bag?
2: I, well, that's a good point. I hadn't even There's
1: considered. also a mattress on the side of the road, and I think, am I living somewhere in... Why are
2: we so dirty?
1: Uh, that's a good question.
2: Why so, is it? Why is it okay? Why does it make you feel okay to do that?
1: I don't know. It just it's uh, it's a lack of you know the the social mores that we've just devolved. I believe. And again, when I say this, when I hear myself say this, I go, "You old fuddy duddy." Yeah. But I'm not the only one uh, who, who thinks about this because I saw an article in the newspaper the other day. The joy of picking up other people's trash. <laughs> is that a a trib story? No, it's uh, in the Times. about A guy living in Brooklyn saying, overnight, I've seen my neighborhood change. And he said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm eye rolling at all these, you know, the hipsters that I'm surrounded by. However, one of the good things was that there have been people posting on telephone poles, join us as we pick up other people's trash. And at first, the author was like, what, are you kidding me? Um, A guy by the name of, um, I'm sorry, a, a woman by the name of Jasmine Hughes. And she said, I'm not going to do that. But then she saw people do that and thought, I'm going to do that. She went out and bought herself a little prong.
2: Yeah. One of those little clippy things.
1: Yeah. The little, um, what is the name for that?
2: I have no idea. Describe. What do you think that's called? That's the the little prong thing that, you know, you can pick stuff up with. I don't know, but I can look it up.
1: (laughs) Describes it in detail. What are you going to
2: (laughs) Google? Yeah. Exactly what you just described.
1: (laughs) You probably buy one on Amazon for 25 bucks. You probably can. Do you think? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, there is something I believe the Jasmine Hughes talks about: the altruism and the surrendering of me, Kvetching the anger, the yes. eye rolling, yeah, yeah, yeah. the finger pointing. Instead of doing all that, just pick it up. It's kind of like in some way, right? This battle you have with your kids, just pick it up. Then right. you just kind of go: Is it worth right. it for I'll me? Just pick, I'll, I'll just get pick get it, it, it. it up. And then the house is in order again, and then you feel better about right. things. Mm-hmm. So, why, why not your neighborhood? Yeah, what is it? Would you like to know the names Please. that I've
2: found? Yes. Uh, <laughs> trash Picker <laughs> uh, and Reacher Grabber Tool. <laughs> Reacher Grabber
1: go, Tool. Reach or... <laughs> so,
2: what you've described is not far off.
1: <laughs> Pretty much the same thing, yeah. I love it. I mean, would it be that there was an army of us with Reacher Grabber Tools tools and Trash Pickers who went out and changed our own neighborhoods? Yeah. Let alone our own highways. Anyway, that's my confettiing for the day.